Beautiful, beautiful singing. Thanks, Kyle, for the selection of songs and for everyone's joining in and singing so beautifully, enthusiastically. It's good to be with you. We, uh, we're going to start in Genesis 1. I'm, I'm, this is not going to be a, really an overview of Genesis so much as it is going to be a, a reflection on some of the themes that are established here in Genesis that are so important for the rest of this book. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, there are times in our lives, nationally, uh, congregationally, individually, where it is so crucial for us to make sure that our outlook on life is flowing from our conviction that God is real, that God is sovereign, God is powerful, and God is acting, you know? This is one of those moments, I think. And so it comes at a good time for us. Beginning of the year, we're reading Genesis. And so it's uh, appropriate in different ways for us to go back and look at the foundational story from the book of Genesis in the beginning. You know, it's interesting how the book of Genesis starts. It doesn't start with some detailed explanation. It doesn't satisfy all of our curiosities about how God did this. And Norman mentioned this in his prayer. You know, it, we... we uh, we, we don't, we're not given this great and detailed scientific explanation that might satisfy some of our curiosities, especially from our 21st century understandings of science. You know, it doesn't do all of that. It simply acknowledges that this is what God did. It's just, it's just interesting. You read this, Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is what God did. This is what God did. You know, you go through the chapter, especially here in chapter 1, and you'll notice the repetition of that phrase. First day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he saw that the light was good. The light was good. He goes on in verse 6, let there be an expanse. In verse 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together. The last part of verse 10, and God saw that it was good, the last part of verse 12, and God saw that it was good, the last part of verse 18, and God saw that it was good, the end of verse 21, and God saw that it was good, end of verse 24, God saw that it was good, and then he goes into this description of the creation of Adam and Eve. But, but it's interesting, this, the way the Hebrew writer penned the story, this beautiful narrative in Genesis 1 is, he wanted it to be very clear that God is the great unmoved mover. He's the great uncreated creator. He's the one who does amazing and powerful things we don't even understand. And it is always, when God does it, it is always good. It was good. It was good. In case we missed it, he tells us again, it was good. God's beautiful creation in Genesis 1 and 2, it was good. You know, that's the way the biblical narrative starts. It is good. It's important for us to understand that and to remember that this is a story that doesn't stop in Genesis, but it is a story that starts with the goodness of God and the goodness of God's creation. Now, you know, though, that it doesn't last. We're going to come back to Genesis 1 in a few minutes, but I want you to I want you to remember kind of these, these, uh, these pegs on which we can hang these different themes because the goodness 
in chapters 1 and 2, God made everything and it's good. Adam and Eve are good. Everything is good. And then we come to Genesis 3. And, and, and according to the story that God is displaying, He's revealing to us, you know what happened in Genesis 3. Just a quick summary. God had said, I've given you everything you need. Everything you need is here. You, you only have to avoid one thing, and that is stay away from the tree in the middle of the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you'll die. That God had made this very clear, very explicit to them. And yet, of course, in Genesis 3, Satan came. And, and as Satan does, always does, he manipulated the truth just a little bit, changed a word here and there, just a little bit, you know. I mean, it changed a lot, but, but superficially, at least, it looked like only a small change. You, you'll not surely die. And he even kind of, he, he, he took some of, the, some, of, some of what God had said and some of what was real, and he put it in this temptation, and he said, God just doesn't want you to, he doesn't want you to be like him. You know, and if you eat of it, you will become like God's, knowing good and evil. And there's some truth in there. They are going to know good and evil after they eat of the fruit. But of course, Eve and Adam both took the fruit, they ate of it, and their eyes were opened. We live in a world that is broken. And maybe we forget that sometimes. And maybe, maybe we in our Western world, in our prosperous society, we can sometimes sort of insulate ourselves from the suffering of the world. You know? We've made so many advances in medicine. We understand scientifically the world in ways that people haven't for years and years. But we've come to this, God has given us this understanding scientifically and medically, and we've done things, and we can cure things, and we can alleviate pain in, in some ways. You know, we can do all of this stuff, and we, we live in our Western world kind of isolated from the rest of the world, and, and we in our, in our, in our middle-class existence don't know hunger, and, and, and we often don't know some of the things that people have experienced for years and years, you know? And then comes a year like the last year where some of the things on which we have stood, these, it's just kind of been pulled out from under us, right? And we've been have, having to come face to face with the realization that we don't have all the answers. And that suffering has come closer to home. And then we start another year with turmoil and division and anger and rioting and, and we're reminded... Man, this world is broken. It's broken. In case we needed another reminder, it is so messed up. It is so twisted and so distorted and people go about things in the wrong ways. And, and we, what do we do as Christians? Well, we, we've got a story that helps us to understand it, right? We've got a story, and the story is found in Genesis 3. It's a part of the story that God has revealed to us. Everything was good, and we lived in perfect harmony with the Creator of the world, but once we chose to go our own way, to disobey His Word, to try to be our own gods, to determine our own truth, and, and, and decide for ourselves what we want to be right and what we want to be wrong, apart from the one who created truth and decides right and wrong, once we did that, God said, I'm going to put enmity between talking to the serpent. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. The, the, he hints at the, 
conflict between Eve and Adam, between women and men, between people in general. There's going to be relational conflict. There's going to be there's going to be this sense of distance between you and the Creator. And so at the end of Genesis 3, of course, Adam and Eve are separated from the garden. And so you've got that spiritual isolation. You've got that relational isolation and hostility between people. And we've talked about this many times before. And, and some of this, I know, is just a, just a quick review for many of you. But, but I want to make sure that, that we understand that we can read events in the world properly from the Christian perspective and so we've got that spiritual distance. We've got that relational hostility. We've got even the world itself groaning. Romans 8 talks about this, that the, it's, not gonna, it's gonna produce thorns and thistles. It's not gonna produce its fruit willingly. So you've got all these hints there in Genesis 3 that everything got messed up, you know? And so when we look at what's going on in the world and we see riots and we see anger and we see violence, we shouldn't be surprised by it. Now, I think we are often, but I don't know that we should be because people are broken and they're messed up and they often use worldly means to try to accomplish their goals. As Christians, we stand here and we present to the world a different way. One that's not based on Genesis 3 but one that's based on what Jesus came to do. We'll come there in just a minute. But just this, just this brief kind of commentary on what's going on, people are broken. And they're broken because we have all chosen to go our own way. And I think that it's important for us often when we see and are tempted to point our fingers at broken people we need to remember that we're right there in the midst of it as well. And so we come back and we look at our own selves and we look at our complicity and we look at our own faults and our own shortcomings and the way in which, ways in which we've contributed, contributed to the brokenness of the world and to relationships. And we stand before God in penitence as well. And so we come to worship not to talk about how bad the world is, but to recognize that we too have eaten the fruit. We too have said, I want to go my own way, God. I want to decide right and wrong. I want to know for myself what is truth according to my own selfish desires. I want to do that. We've all done that. And so what's going on around us is a reflection so often of what's ha what has happened in our own hearts. You know, There will be enmity. And so there's relational conflict there are marriage problems. There are problems between parents and children, between siblings, between co-workers. And, and sometimes it, it gets magnified on a larger scale as we've seen in the last week or so when that kind of internal conflict boils over in such a visible, harmful way. It's Genesis 3. It is the enmity there. It is the brokenness that entered the world because of sin. But that, thank God, is not the end of the story. I'm glad that Genesis 3 didn't, we didn't stop there. You go to Genesis 4, and as if we needed another kind of reminder of this, we see that Cain, Cain I mean, do you see acts of Cain in the world today? Cain 
broken inside, messed up, distorted. And what does he do? He turns to violence to try to bring about some sort of resolution, a kind of a perpetuation, a, a, a visible demonstration of his own selfishness when he murders his brother Abel. And that is conflict between people as a result of Genesis 3. But the story goes on. <clears throat> In Genesis 12, a very familiar story to many Christians, to most Christians, I think. And that is, in the midst of all this chaos and this disorder, in the midst of, you know, on the heels of the flood, this catastrophic event that was, again, just an outgrowth of the brokenness in the planet and the brokenness in humanity, God chooses a man named Abram who lived in the Middle East. And he said, not because of anything good necessarily in Abram, but because of the goodness in God, he picked Abram and he said, I am going to use you to bring blessings to the world. And he said, I will bless you and I'm going to give you a family and I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants and I am going to bless the whole world through your descendants. And so when you start reading in Genesis 12, and if you're in your Bible reading, we read, uh, what, Genesis 12, I don't know, three or four days ago, something like that. And when you read that, and then you, you follow the steps of Abraham as he moves on. You know, you've got Abraham making, taking missteps and uh, trying to manipulate things by deceit. And I mean, he's doing, he's doing it the Adam and Eve way, you know. Trying to do it, we try to do it our own way. We try to, we try to manipulate things according to what we think to be best. That's what, I, that's what Abraham does. But the story keeps going on. God keeps walking with Abraham and working with him and being patient with him. And he gives him a son, Isaac. And he gives Isaac a son, Jacob. And he gives Jacob the 12 sons. And the story marches on. And God taking this little, this little family and turning it into a big family. Ultimately, God turns it into a nation. And then this nation becomes this nation through which God is going to bless the world because Jesus in Matthew 1, Matthew starts his story by telling us that here's how Jesus came into the world. There was Abraham and there was Isaac and there was Jacob and there was Judah and there was Perez and there was this great line leading to this family into which Jesus the Christ was born. You see, goodness of Genesis 1, the fallenness of Genesis 3, the call of Genesis 12, all pointing to the time when God is going to make broken things whole again, when God is going to make wrong things right again. That's what God is doing. And so in our moments at times, not just this moment, but in our difficult moments, I guess there's a temptation to, to think as if like right now our whole world is associated with like what we're experiencing right now. But man, life, even apart from pandemics and political turmoil, life is so often hard and difficult and painful, and we struggle. But we need to remember. We need to remember that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God spoke matter into existence. And God spoke the world into existence. And the God who does that is a God who is sovereign. And that's the point of Genesis. 
It is this story. It's not the story of men and women. This is a story of what God is doing. God is the primary actor in all of it. So often when I read the Bible, and you, you're probably tempted by this as well, we, we tend to ask questions like, well, where am I in this story? What do I need to do based on the story? Those aren't necessarily bad questions. They're just not the first question. They're not the most important question. Most important question to ask whenever you read the Bible, whenever you read narratives, even when you read commands, most important question to ask is, where is God? What is God doing? Why is God acting? And so in Genesis, this is not a story of Adam and Eve and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. This is a story of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a story that God is doing. And so often, when we find ourselves in difficult times, we want, Merv was talking about this in class in the auditorium this morning, I think there's a, this tendency to think, okay, what can I do? You know, what can I do to fix this? And what can I do? And there's, of course, human responsibility and all. But the first question, the first response, I think, is to remember we are contingent beings. We are contingent. We are dependent on a creator God. And our question is, what is God doing? So at this moment right now, historically, culturally, nationally, congregationally, individually, what is God doing? What is God doing? What is He wanting to teach me? What is He wanting to teach our congregation? What is He wanting to teach the world? What is God doing? Because this doesn't surprise God. God, God didn't wake up one morning and, 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 and get surprised by a virus or political division. God, God isn't surprised by this. In His sovereignty, God has allowed all this to happen. But God doesn't allow things to happen without something that He wants to accomplish. As a church, let's ask, what is he teaching us? Let's us as individuals, as dads and moms and husbands and wives and single folks and students and kids, let's, let's ask ourselves, what does God want me to learn? What is God, the primary actor, the primary mover, the creator God, the sovereign, the omnipotent one, the king of kings, what is he teaching us right now? At the end of the book of Genesis, there is one more line I wanted to quote. And it is in the last chapter of Genesis. In our Bible reading, we haven't gotten to it yet. Some of you may have gotten to it already. End of Genesis. Genesis 50, last chapter. And it's how after a bunch of stuff has happened, and you may remember Joseph was sold into slavery down in Egypt by his own brothers, and through a series of providential events, God brings the family all down into Egypt together. Joseph's brothers are worried that he's going to, he's, he's a man of power now, that he's going he's gonna to get them back for everything they've done to him, you know. And they come to him like with hats in their hands, and, and they basically said, you know, Dad, Dad didn't want you to do anything to us. And Joseph, this is this great state. I mean, you see, it on the, you see it on the screen behind me, but what you did... This is a great story. This is a great summary of the entire Bible. This is a great, this is a great summary of the gospel itself. You, you can quote this. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for what? For good. 
Genesis 3, you meant it for evil, but God called Abraham to bring about good. You ate the fruit and you meant it for evil, but God brought Jesus into the world to bring about good. You see, this is the gospel. And in, in our present moment, culturally, historically, nationally, whatever, in this moment, it, there's a lot of evil. But how is God going to use this to bring about good? And I think the answer for us, at least part of the answer, ought to be, let's show the world a different way. Let's show the world that Christians don't act with violence. Christians act to bring about peace. That Christians are people who are based on love and not fear. We bring about unity and not division. We sow seeds of love and kindness in the world. You know, what is God going to do? He's bringing about good. We know that. God is a God who always brings about good. It was good. It was good. Genesis 3, it is bad. But God is bringing about good. And so we look around us and we see the ugly. And we see the pain. And we see the hurt. And we see the sin and brokenness. But where is God doing the good? And the answer to that, uh, in, in, in the book of Ephesians, for example, other places too, but according to His eternal purpose, God brought about the church. God in His church does good. So let's not, let's not work according to the world's narrative that power, strength, and violence are the, way, are the ways to accomplish the desired end. Let's follow Jesus, who says to be poor in spirit, who says to mourn, who says to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to be people who are pure in heart, to be people who are peacemakers. To be people who are even willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake. But nonetheless, they don't give up their confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And they follow Him even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, what this is, it is the foundation of a beautiful story. As we read through Genesis, and you probably read, many of you read through Genesis about a year ago, back in January. And if you're following our plan at the beginning of 2019, you read it in January of 2019. Let's keep reading this story, and let's keep being reminded of the foundation of what God is doing in the world. Yes, there's evil and there's brokenness, and it will always be that way until, until the restoration and renewal of all things when Jesus Christ comes again and in, its, in, a, in a final, ultimate way, God is going to, once and for all, fix the brokenness. And we come back to a Genesis 1 and 2 existence with God where all things are once again good, perfectly good. And there are relationships that are perfectly harmonious and we are, once again, in a relationship with God that's characterized by peace and tranquility and harmony. Can't wait. Can't wait for that day. But for now, 
Let's be busy finding where God is doing the good and joining Him there. That's what Christians have always done. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it tomorrow, and we're going to do it next week. Whatever's going on out there, God's people are going to be about doing the good, doing the right, sowing the seeds of grace, kindness, and love, and reconciliation. Let's do His work. If you're not a Christian this morning, we invite you to join in with what God is doing in the world. He's working through His people, the church. If you believe that Jesus is God's Son, confess Him today. Join hands with Him today. Be baptized into Him today. He'll wash all your sins away by His grace, and He'll join hands with you as you participate in the greatest work ever. And that is the good stuff that God is doing in the world. We invite you today. Maybe you need to come back and ask for prayers because your life hasn't reflected that of a Christian. Uh, we want to pray for you as well if we need to. Let's stand and sing. Won't you come?